Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince, and we have a special guest joining us tonight, uh, a Multiversity staffer, a friend from the West Coast, and a soon-to-be Multiversity podcaster. We'll talk more about that in a little while. We have our mm-hmm. friend Paul on the show. Say hi, Paul. Hey, it's good to be here, and um regular listener to the DC3 cast as well, so this is super fun for me. Uh, before we get started too much, why don't you give folks a little preview of your show that'll be starting in June? Yeah, we're um, we're launching a podcast. It's called Study Comics with Paul, um, Paul being me. <laughs> and uh, what I do is I try to look at one comic each episode and really kind of dig deep analytically. So I'm an English teacher uh, by trade. And so you can kind of imagine the, the, the way I like to have a conversation, you know, close reading a comic book, uh, thinking about it from a literary perspective or an artistic perspective, that kind of thing. And um, in fact, I'm going to be recording a conversation with um, Greg from Robots from Tomorrow, our fellow uh, Multiversity uh, staffer. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Squadron Supreme. Um, So that'll be one of the early episodes that goes up. And so look out for it. Um, You know, it'll be there at the site. I know everybody who listens here is probably regularly there at the site. And uh, it'll be coming soon. So um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at T-W-O-P-L-A-I. That's Tuply. And, uh, you know, I'll be announcing it there, too. Awesome. Can't wait for it to start. That sounds great. We really need something to balance out <laughs> our stupidity, the, uh, the nonsense that we put out every week. <laughs> uh, yeah, enjoyable, enjoyable nonsense. Oh, thank you. That's the best pull quote we've had so far. So <laughs> you can put that on the podcast tombstone one day. Enjoyable nonsense. <laughs> so uh, we invited Paul on because we uh, we have some big DC news, and it'll be fun to get another perspective on this. So uh, just to give a quick recap. Today at the um, Diamond Retailers Conference before C2E2 in Chicago, DC Comics announced their new publishing line known as Dark Matter. And uh, they didn't come out and say it in these words, but I think it's fair to say it is a publishing line built around some of their biggest artistic talent and considering them to be true equals in the creative process. And so we have uh, quite the list of creators all these books will be spinning out from the Dark Knights Metal event, which is the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo event that starts with Batman, but will eventually encompass the Justice League and much of the DC Universe starting, I believe, in August. And uh, let's just quickly run down the books, and then we'll give our general thoughts, and then we'll go sort of specifically. But we have the aforementioned Dark Knights Metal by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. We have Sideways by Dan DiDio, Justin Jordan, and Kenneth Rockefort. We have Silencer by Dan Abnett and John Romita Jr. We have Immortal Men by James Tynan IV and Jim Lee. Damage by Robert Venditti and Tony S. Daniel. And New Challengers by Scott Snyder and Andy Kubert. So, Paul, you're the guest. Let's give you the first word here. What's your overall thought about this line, about these creators, and about these books? Um, I think the first thoughts that came to mind, and I saw this in some of the um, print stuff written about it, is... Um, Wow, it feels like they're they're taking the the, the shot to um, take a shot at Marvel, <laughs> given um, what they said at the retailer summit and the comments about artists. And so, you know, that whole pitch about artists being sort of co-equal um, first partners as creators with the writers seems like it's taking advantage of that moment. But you know, they commented specifically about that. Didio and company, um, when asked, you know, is this is this you know you guys kind of 
um, your comeuppance on, on Marvel for their their fall. And and you know they they downplayed that. They said, of course, this was cooking long before that. But um, but you, you can't help if you know what I feel like when I was look. Uh, uh, you'll 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 be able to tell where this reference is coming from. But it felt like a, a, a Steph Curry dagger three pointer in the fourth quarter. You know, <laughs> it's like. You know, we were already overtaking you on the diamond charts, and 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 now they're gonna really kind of flaunt that. Um, that maybe I I don't know what you guys think about. It. I feel like DC is winning in the talent horse race. You know, um, like a couple of years ago, you might, or maybe a couple of years into the new Fifty Two, you might it might have seemed like Marvel had more of the art studs. Um, but it just feels like this is them showcasing. You know, look at our exclusives and you know our our our, our sort of artist stable now and. Um, and, yeah, and and I think they're also taking a shot at um, a way to to introduce new characters that doesn't bungle it, you know. Um, because at, at least since you know Image in the '90s, I think you know creators have been hesitant to introduce um, you know a lot of new characters. Don't know if they'll fly. Um, they don't sell as well. And I feel like to have a banner under which they introduce a lot of new characters is um it's a it's a savvy way i think to try to um try to get some new 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 properties new licenses um so it, you know to try to make it like an ingrown image kind of thing which uh <laughs> i thought this would be fun we should talk about whether the the image correspondences because you got capullo who's like a, a <laughs> spawn guy out, right? right yeah, yeah right yeah and, and he, jim lee <laughs> right yeah. So uh, I, I don't know if Romita is the, the Rob Liefeld of the bunch or something. But. <laughs> he definitely is. He definitely is. Um, yeah, this, this definitely has like a 90s vibe to it, I think. Wait, which is funny because I think my first response to it was, was this feels like a new 52 thing, which which inherently always f- kind of felt like a 90s thing. So, Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of mentioned that in the, the news piece I wrote about this today, that if you look at the art talent, if you pull out JRJR, and Andy Kubert, the other four artists are all very associated with the New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I you know Capullo and Rockefort, I believe, did their first DC work in the New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know Tony Daniel obviously had worked for DC before, and yep. as had Jim Lee. But Jim Lee designed everything in the New Fifty Two. This felt very much like sort of the New Fifty Two All Stars, and and even the writing talent as well. You know, yeah, is a very new Fifty Two lineup. Justin Jordan, who was maligned in the New Fifty Two <laughs> by getting stuck on a bunch of bad books, yeah, that, that weren't his fault. I feel, you know, right, right now he's co-writing the Didio book. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I find it to be a really interesting assortment of of white men. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. It is interesting. Well, I did see someone joke on Twitter that it's not the mistress class. <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy yeah i think that that is an interesting notion i mean rocafort is rocafort is, is puerto rican i think and i then, believe uh, so yeah jim lee is korean american but he's barely outspoken about that fact you know right uh, but I, I feel like that's the other part of it is um a lot in a lot of this press they're talking about um, bringing diversity to the, <laughs> the line, which is a really interesting take when you announce, you know, six books with creative teams and there's no women. Um, right. But you and know, I, did you happen to read John Romita's comments about that today, too? Uh, was it something along the lines of, hey, we're diverse? <laughs> that is that is up there with my Dio in terms of uh, <laughs> good uh, impressions of New York based uh 
comics folks. So now he, I, he is, I like Jeff Romita. Yeah, <laughs> he actually he said something along the lines of, "This is a way to do diversity that doesn't fuck up comics." He right. said, "Like, which is a problematic statement." That's He's also he, like another Marvel jab. Yeah, what he said was, you know, like if he said you have you have is if you made Frank Castle Francine Castle, I'd be pissed off. And then he said, but you only have two options. Well, three, but we're not doing transgenders yet. That's his oh, exact quote. Oh, nice, nice work. Well, That's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> someone, someone get some PR on that. Yeah, exactly. So it was a PR PR on JRJR. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that was good. No, it's not. No, I mean, you know, their PR people were in the back listening, and they're like, whoa, shots fired. And then he said that second part. They're like, oh, no, he's sinking the shit. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I feel I like, know. you know, the thing about diversity, um, sorry if I couldn't know. No, no, you're the guest. Go right ahead. <laughs> you know, there's like. It's not like you steer the fucking show every week, Paul. Just kidding. <laughs> Go for it. I thought I was, uh, I thought you brought me on to talk about Harley Quinn. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> we are in need of a Harley Quinn. Correspondent, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to look somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I think the, um, you know, the, the hard thing about diversity as as a kind of, you know, marketing ploy or, or an even an intentional effort it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, you know, and, and, and there's a tension that you kind of have to respect, which is that on one hand, you can't be pandering, you know? And on the other hand, you can't sort of act like, oh, we're, we're just colorblind or genderblind or whatever, you know? Like, oh, you know, we don't see race or everyone's on the same on the inside or whatever, you know? We just have, they just happen to be black or Asian or gay or whatever, right? Yeah. Because that's another kind of, you know, its own kind of dismissal or erasing. And, I mean, I think if Marvel can be accused of the the first one of those where, you know, it just seems like Marvel is, um, you know, wearing its political consciousness on its sleeve, you know, as a, as a sales pitch, maybe DC might be accused of the latter, you know, where it just seems like sometimes, um, I, I don't know that they do it poorly when they make a diversity effort, Um you know, CDCU, but I, I just feel like they, um, it, it's just, um, I don't know. It, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of like, we just want to be loud and thumping with the classic superhero-ness. And then there'll be like a taste or a smattering of cultural awareness. Uh -huh. And, you know, and, you know, I mean, I don't know that that's always bad. Like I said, it's like a tension and you can easily slip into one side or the other, but I don't know. It just feels like they're on one side. They tend to be on one side, and they're taking shots at the other. And uh, it's just a hard, hard thing to do either way, um, authentically. Especially, I mean, you could do it authentically when you have, um, you know, diverse creators. And I think that's the real problem, you know. Yeah. With that. Yeah, and and I do think like I I saw I can't remember who said this, but I know it came out of the retailer summit that by the end of the year, the goal is to have somewhere around 20 artists as a part of this this master class and so it'll be interesting to see who the follow-ups are you know who the who the other members of this this club are right they purposely called this the first line or the first wave rather of mm -hmm. these books it's interesting that uh, dc is doing you know this is almost the artist version of the marvel architects from mm. five years ago yeah and um you know, you can argue whether that's a good thing or not, because I, I remember conversations that happened, you know, four or five years ago about, well, why isn't Kelly Sue DeConnick an architect? Why right. isn't she getting invited to these summits, you mm -hmm. know, when she absolutely deserved to? So it is a tricky, like, taking taking a group of people and saying, these are your all-stars, 
that's a tricky rope to walk. And I don't know. I I I don't think John Romita Jr.'s comments have helped them pitch it. <laughs> but I I also don't think it's necessarily an idea that should be immediately dismissed either. You know. Right. Um Yeah. Yeah. No, and it definitely is cool that it's an artist centric thing. And DC is very smart in capitalizing on on kind of the the current zeitgeist in terms of you know crediting um you know the 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 contributors to comic making who who don't always get the the same level of attention yeah absolutely i had kind of a, a sorry who did i cut off there no 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 please go ahead okay. i had kind of an interesting thought about this where Aside from James Tynan and Dan Abnett, the other creators listed here are many of which are under DC exclusive contract. We're not doing all that much in Rebirth, and I think people were waiting for them to be announced on something more. Like, for instance, you know, um, uh, Scott Snyder is DC exclusive, and yet he's pretty much only doing All Star Batman. So you knew there had to be something else coming from that, right? But I think that in some ways this is this is the best of both worlds for guys like Capullo and Tony Daniel. Like I don't, I, I like Capullo in a lot of ways. That said, I don't want to necessarily see Capullo on a Rebirth book because I think his style doesn't necessarily fit with what Rebirth is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Capullo is a bad example. Tony Daniel is a better example. Tony Daniel, I, I think you have to admit, like he's a good draftsman, right? Like he does, he has skill that that is undeniably better than I could ever do in a million years, but I don't want to necessarily see him on a, on a rebirth book. So this is a really interesting place to put him where he can still be on a high profile title, but he's not trying to uh, fit into something that maybe doesn't fit his talents more. This seems to be a very uh, well thought out curation of creators who will hang well together. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I probably failed to say this at the top, but I'm I'm pretty hyped about this. Like, it's an it's an exciting set of creators, like you said. Um, I think that you know that what we've seen about the uh, of the characters um, looks fun. Uh, <laughs> I I think it will be interesting to see how things unfold as far as you know. I, I mean, one of the things I've wondered about is if you pitch from the beginning that this whole thing is about the artist in some way being co-equal with the writer, right? In an era where we've, you know, had way too much like, you know, your, your Mark Millers and your um, Hickmans or whatever, where we celebrated and followed the writer. If you're trying to make it equal, like that's great, but it, it kind of um, maybe disrupts the, the, um, the, the order, the accepted order of things, even if, even if that's like a bad order of things in terms of, you, you know, these aren't necessarily, I, I don't know, uh, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but these aren't creators, creative teams that have necessarily worked together, you know? And so you're telling uh, a, 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 an artist with a team of, you know, an artist and a, write, a writer team, oh, you're equals. And sometimes, you know, when you tell people, okay, you know, it used to be that one followed the other other's lead and now you're equal, you know, you, you start hearing back, uh I feel less equal than the other one, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so I wonder if that whole kind of premise, that pitch as far as how these folks will be working together, um, 
uh, you know, you kind of put them in a hard situation as far as they have to figure out a new chemistry and they haven't necessarily had that previous chemistry or, you know, had it go through all the bumps and bruises that the Capullo Snyder relationship, you know, already had. So, I mean, who knows what it'll be like in the back rooms or the email channels between these creative teams, right? See, my question was, if you're going to pin this as being artist-centric and seeing the artist as equal, then how many years will it take for Jim Lee's book to come out? Because you can't, you can't put a, you can't put a fill in on that if he is the equal creator. So seven years, nine years for Immortal Men to to wrap up. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's also, it's kind of funny too. Like um, DC's already kind of played around with giving the artist more leeway or, or more of a, more of kind of like a pedestal in the new 52 we got a lot of uh artist artist uh written like artists book a lot of artists who wrote and drew the book right you david know? finch's batman the dark knight yeah yeah um john yeah. Romita had that issue of superman um, <laughs> Tony issue. daniel was writing detective for yes. a while yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah he cut the joker's face off guys oh, he did yes, he, he did. did do that yeah um that was twisted it was and so you he know he was really damaged after that oh my goodness <laughs> every time every time we got it uh and so in a way it's kind of interesting to see this is almost sort of like a backpedaling from that but i also think that that didn't necessarily work out in the way that they wanted it to in terms of generating interest and excitement see i always read that as shit david finch got a marvel offer how do we keep him on board? Let, let's <laughs> yeah. give him a, a third tier bat book to write and draw, and that'll keep him happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it, it was kind of you know enticing the artist to come over in the first place because it is interesting how I guess you know in this group not necessarily that many, but I mean, JRJR definitely was is a recent Marvel grab. Rockefeller had been at DC, but then went over to Marvel and is now back again. Um, so that's sort of another jab at Marvel. Hmm. Yeah. I um I had an interesting thought about Rockefort and Justin Jordan, both of whom I really like, and I want to preface this by saying I really like those guys. But is it just me, or do they seem to be the sort of odd men out here in terms of I don't think they have the same name recognition or stature within the company as the other folks do? Well, I didn't even realize that Kenneth Rockefort is um, is actually Pitbull. So, <laughs> uh, I, I you know I had a thought about the rollout. You know, they did the uh, the whole you know slideshow bit, right? And I thought it was interesting that for an initiative that was about like check out what these artists can do, and then check out these new diverse characters that. It seemed like most of the images were just like sketches, you know. <laughs> I mean, you'd think you want to like. I mean, I think that does show a lot of uh, you know how great the artists are to to see their their pencils. But I mean, I, I don't know. Are you are you guys excited about these characters, or maybe better question is which ones are you, and which ones did you have to look up to remember what they even were about? You know, this is that's a good question. The uh, new new challengers is easily the one I'm most excited about. Um, right, like, yeah, that's I, kind I, of the... I like the challenges of the unknown, and I like them even more when they're written by 
like the most A-list writer that DC has. More more Kirby year um, props, right? Like you guys were talking about last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I think uh, Sideways kind of looks like their Spider-Man attempt, their latest Spider-Man attempt. <laughs> their latest. <laughs> um, just based on like the the character design and kind of the description. I actually uh, haven't seen the character designs yet. Oh, here, let me. Uh, Today is my stay-at-home dad day, so I was writing that article while literally I was writing it with my right hand, with my left hand was feeding was feeding a bottle to my son, and I was uh, like playing with my daughter at the same time. So I I was doing this as quickly as I could. Uh, so I'm excited to see these. So talk amongst yourselves while I check these out. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just the link over. Thank you. Sans, there's this snake eyes looking woman, <laughs> hero assassin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, I made a comment on Twitter. The the description for Silencer sounds more humorous than I would expect it to be, and I think it's mostly because her name is a uh, honor guest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, don't believe me? Ask the dishes. So, <laughs> uh, can I tell you guys? You're getting fat, lazy. You walked in an oopsie daisy. <laughs> we can keep going with this. I yeah. nothing on the next couple. Oh man, uh, well, can... we only live to serve. Okay. <laughs> uh, can I tell you guys my one very, very specific nerdy disappointment about Please. the Beauty and the Beast live action film? No, no, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Oh, no. it's very good. I've heard it's very good. My mom took my daughter to see it, so my mom. Thanks, grandma. My mom. My daughter. Uh, thanks, grandma. Um, my but grandma. no, that. <laughs> no, I'm upset that they purposely chose the name Damage, despite that being a DC character already. Mm-hmm. I and... knew that would hurt you a little. Because I love that character. It's one of my favorite, like weird '90s characters. I have the entire run of Damage. Um... That's damaged. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> enjoyable nonsense uh so uh no but it, it, just, it just seems to be like an odd choice it, i mean obviously it's not calling the book superman and be like nope not Clark Kent, <laughs> you know but it is it is taking a, a a dc character that died in final crisis not like this is talking about something from 40 years ago like the character was around you know 10-ish years ago and uh it just seems like an odd choice of a name of all the names to go with, and especially it's because the because he can do a lot of damage. It's not like there's a uh, like a really great in story reason to name him that. At least he's seemingly. also a really interesting like mashup of things. He's he's like he has the hour man car- property of having having his powers for one hour. Yeah, and it's also kind of like a, a kid eternity thing, only with monsters. Yeah, instead of uh, literary or. or- uh, historical figures or whatever. Um, yeah, weird character. Also, like his design is—he looks—he looks like Bad Rock. Yeah, or like Atrocitus or something. Yeah, I would say that's the book I'm least excited about. Uh, partly because I am not a huge fan of either Robert Vendetti or Tony Daniel. I think uh, the Immortal Men 
sounds so Vince, you had said something about um, this being DCs and humans. And yeah, so it sounds like they're inhumans. Can you can you elaborate on that, Vince, for our listeners? Right. So, well, to take a step back, I'm pretty I'm pretty interested in the fact that Dark Knight's Metal is included as one of the six books in the right. Dark Matter line. That's yeah, because, and I realize why they couldn't tell us this a week or two ago, but Scott Snyder has been on Twitter saying, "Metal is the only thing you need to read." You're going to understand it all. It's going to change the DCU in amazing ways that will affect it for years in the future. And none of that, you would have never guessed there was another five books alongside of it that were completely different Hmm. characters that were not involved in the current DC Rebirth landscape. Like all of this new stuff blooming out of this is completely unexpected if you take solely what Scott Snyder has been saying on Twitter. And that leads me to believe, and he's also been talking about, you know, they had that um, conference where they talked about it and they streamed it live and they said, you know, there's a new uh, elemental metal, a new periodic element discovered, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what this metal is. And they've confirmed now that nth metal is also a part of it. Yeah, yep, yep. Right. Hawkman's a part of it too. And uh, yes, right. But it just, you know, that plus a bunch of new heroes popping up um, in this sort of fashion reminded me immediately of the Terrigen Mist from Inhumans. And just this idea that there's this... Some of these words that they use, they're humankind's hope sprung eternal. Like, that is so evocative of these Inhumans that have been springing up at Marvel over the last several years... I mean, that's just the idea. It's the idea of X-Men type or mutant type characters that are not genetic, but are uh, created in some way. And that's really what this all feels like to me. So um, that that was just what I meant when I said, I don't know if it was on Twitter or in our texting. but It was uh, in our texting, but then I put it in the article for Multiversity. Oh, that's what you did. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. So yeah, to me, that's totally what this feels like. So Paul, you brought up that this is kind of, this feels like uh, DC sort of dunking on Marvel or lapping them again with the whole art thing. It also kind of feels like their attempt to say like, "Your Inhumans are not you. You right. you, you, you want a, you want Inhumans to be something, right? And they're not. They've, they haven't quite gotten off the ground yet. We're gonna try this. We're gonna try to do Inhumans better than you did it." And that's just me speculating, but you know, yeah. it's, it's that's what it feels like to me. But you sound like you want to get in on this, Paul. So, no, yeah, and actually, I was thinking about the banner, and it says, you know, one of the banners. It says, first come the dark days, which gives way to the dark nights, which gives birth to the dark matter." So that whole like sort of whatever Big Bang causal thing that gives a bunch of you know a reason for a bunch of heroes to enter the universe um, sounds like a, some similar mechanism is going on with that story, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, but I guess to come back to something else, too, I was saying, you know, I mean, I can't think of the last time they, they were talking about comparing this to the, um, you know, the Marvel in the 60s and um, an image and stuff. You know, you think about like when was the last time a bunch of new characters actually worked, you know, at, at the big two. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, you think I, I with the new universe, it. you think of right. uh, all these attempts that that spawned maybe one character. Right. 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 
Yeah, and, and bloodlines. Like, yeah, I thought of like zero hour, sort of. Right. Like, but a lot of the, you know. but a lot of those like even even my beloved damage like he was the son of Al Pratt, you know. Uh, Starman was the son of the previous Starman. There was a new Green Lantern, but he was still a Green Lantern. You know what I mean? Like there were yeah. new iterations of legacy characters, but I don't know how many like cut from the cloth, new totally new, character. new characters are there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I feel like you know if you're gonna if you're gonna introduce a, a bunch of new characters, you got to give a, a pe- you know big two followers who are incredibly loyal to their prior characters a reason to jump on with you, right? And so the last time that they had that kind of a reason to jump on was, I mean, something like like Image, right? And then it's funny the thing that I thought of where there's an infusion of new characters in the universe was Wildstorm, which actually is the you know exception yeah. that proves the point, right? But they it just it seems like um, they recognize that. To get this to sell, you know, you got to also make it a promotion of this ideal of, you know, artists you're excited about or creative teams that you're excited about um, making something that is interwoven in the story. Because unless a character is some kind of legacy character, you know, you're, you know, you always talk, they're always talking about how do you diversify these um, legacy universes where, you know, the characters were all created in a time from long, long ago without just doing the Francine Castle punisher thing you know or you know characters who are black having to have the name black in their superior <laughs> right. name right which you know this is an opportunity for them to try to create new characters who actually stick and who you know readers care about want to follow enough to um to make them viable and make them lasting i think that's where they see an opening to talk about diversity and and diversifying because you know i think this is a big pitch for a, a little you know, DC's been doing these little sub crop, young animal, you know, wildstorm little little worlds, but this is a kind of in universe cropping that they're hoping I I, I think um, can take off in that way. I mean, if you look at all the things that they could do to make this succeed, it seems like they've done most of them, right? The you can't say they scrimped on the creator cachet. Right. Because they haven't, they've they, these these are these are their biggest creators, more or less. You can't say that they're, you know, releasing it in the in this vacuum of of its separate line that doesn't really connect. And this is launching out of their biggest event of the year, essentially. Right. Um, you know, th- there are so many things they clearly thought about and went are going into this with a very very clear mindset. The sort of cynic in me wonders though. When we have our DC three cast episode sixty five reunion show in five years, <laughs> how many of these characters are still going to be are, yeah. are going to be around? Yeah, are going to yeah. matter. Are going to matter? Yeah, yeah. Right. not not even just be around, but matter. Yeah, right. that is an excellent question. I also wonder they have not announced that these are ongoing series or miniseries. Hmm. Oh, and that's the yeah, that's the thing. Um. Because both Marvel and DC have been very notorious in, in recent years of, of launching things, either either as ongoing series or just or you know kind of ambiguously, and then and then you know it being a six to eight issue joint that just kind of fades into the background. I mean, I, I kind of think it's a cool idea if the idea if the concept behind this is this is a place for creators to launch new characters. And then those characters are absorbed into the DC universe. 
then that's kind of cool. And then I could see why Jim Lee could do five issues of The Immortal Men. But I can't see Jim Lee doing 12 issues of The Immortal Men. <laughs> I just don't see that happening, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, my favorite, speaking of being late, my favorite quote and all this stuff was, uh, I think it was in the CBR article. It said, like, Kuber noted he's finished drawing Dark Knight 3. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You you know what really surprised me, too? I would have, if you had filled in, like, you know, two or three of the writers here, like, all right, here's this project coming from Greg Capullo, Ken Rockefort, John Romita, Tony Daniel, Andy Kubert, Scott Snyder, and Dan DiDio. Who's another writer that's going to definitely be there? I'd have said Brian Azzarello before before the breath left my lungs. Like... I feel like it's just it's this seems like something that f- three or four years ago he would have absolutely been a part of, and I'm kind of surprised he's not. Yeah, Scott Lobdell. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was actually the one I was expecting. I I feel like Lobdell is is the guy who was uh, like Didio must he must have like naked photos of Didio or something because he just <laughs> he just kept getting work. Yeah, you know, at one point he was writing three or four. New yeah. 52 books. Yeah. <laughs> he had like Superman, teen, not even like small ones. He had like Superman, Teen Titans, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Red Hood and the Outlaws, and maybe something else as well. Super, Superboy. And Superboy for a while, Superboy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did a few fill ins on action. Yeah. Uh, but, but he was I, never like the high profile guy that Azarello was, at least not at DC. No, but but prolific, you know? I, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm surprised that he's not here, but at the same time, like, no offense to Labdell, because his current Red Hood is actually like readable, readable. But you throw his name in here, and I think that makes the New Fifty Two connection immediately obvious, and it makes everyone groan. Whereas these writers, at least, they they all carry with them some sort of clout that's not associated with that so directly, you know? Right. Except for Dan Didio. <laughs> I think it's kind of you're funny gonna, that... You're going to love Sideways. It's going to be great. I think it's... A... <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. Paul G. <laughs> you're going to see that guy from Lost Dick in it, too. Just like in the movie. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> I think it's funny that we don't think of Scott Snyder as... I, I think I speak for all of us. No one thinks of him as like a New 52 success story. But he had written like eight issues of DC comics right. before the new 52. Right. Yeah. Detective they were the, be- they were like the be- eight best issues he, he ever wrote. Yeah. They were. Yeah. Oh man. That tech run is still, I think some of his finest work. I think it is his finest work, but you know, yeah, I agree. Um, I got one last question for you. Guys. Sure. Yeah. Throw it at us. So, um, it, you know, if this is going to be a line, the first person on my next up list is, can we get Joelle Jones? Yes. Right? I had the same thought because she's DC exclusive. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, first, first, can we get that to happen? And then second, uh, uh, who, who, who else, you know, who's next? Ooh, that's a, Ooh, that's a big question. Jock. Jock. Yeah. Jock needs to be on there. Um, I could see Frank Avia, maybe. 
But see, see, that's that's what I wonder because though now we're talking about people that don't fit this style. They're they're mm. they're no less as impressive artists to us. But I feel like these are all of a style, and I'm wondering. Right, right. Like Gleason wouldn't fit this. I right. Don't think. Well, because all of these guys, yeah, don't take them off Superman, please. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, yeah, all of these guys represent, pardon the pun, the darker style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so are they, so are they essentially <laughs> saying that they are gonna, you know, they they've been pretty adamant since the new Fifty Two started that we are going to be on time, whatever it takes, whether it takes a million anchors, or rot- constantly rotating artists, or even issues that get published earlier or later than they meant to because they weren't ready. Uh, are, are they saying by having these high profile artists on here that we are just going to let these go and we're going to take our time. And if they're late, they're late. Or That's why I think they're all miniseries. Okay. Cause they will be, they will be, you know, like theoretically at least they'll be in the can before the first issue is released. Well, even so though, can Jim Lee accomplish that? Oh God, no. You know, <laughs> who, who knows? I mean, I I kind of wouldn't mind if this just like is what it is, you know. Yeah. That, that you know, if we don't get an issue of of Immortal Men for three or four months, you know, uh-huh. whatever. I know that's not good, probably for for recognition in their bottom line. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. I know there have been some very successful series that were woefully delayed and and still, you know, I mean. Gosh, Planetary is one of my favorite books ever. I mean, and it took like ten years for two years worth of issues. Southern Bastards, <laughs> two years in a row, was Multiversity's best ongoing book, yeah. and last year at least I think it was four single issues. Yeah, you know, but but I think that there's a big difference between a creator-owned book doing that and something from the DC machine doing that. Well, so that's the thing. Maybe this is their um, attempt at kind of making a creator-owned feel uh in their kind of main line maybe to get back to paul's question though oh paul let me turn it back on you first who else do you want to see besides joel jones well there was that um promising young guy at the that did the cover of the new talent showcase claus jansen i think was his name (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm just kidding I, w- <laughs> I was thinking of pull- digging that it, that issue up from my my bins and uh, and taking a, another look to try to think of because you know it's it's somebody new and promising or I, I don't know like I'd love to for them to fulfill that diversity pledge and um and I think but but you guys are right there's a there's a certain tone right there's a certain yeah. like but I wonder if the next right. class will have the same tone yeah it could be a different that's true tone. so. Barnaby Begenda. Just want to put that Some, out there. Someone like, yeah. Oh, someone Beginda. like Amanda Cost. He, has, he hasn't had anything. Yeah. I, I would want Amanda Yes, Conner. please. Amanda Connor. That's Conner. good. That makes sense, yeah. Um, oh, I had one, but I just forgot who it was. Gosh. Um, oh, uh, Sinkovich. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. He hasn't done in- regular interiors in a long time. Right, yeah, I think what he showed up in that Deathstroke issue. Yeah, but uh-huh. I, but like I don't think he's been on a book regularly in in quite some time. Right, yeah, I really I I kind of he's this guy's in the same boat as kind of Gleason. I don't want to pull him off of what he's doing, but Bogdanovic 
has been doing uh, yeah. really great stuff and I feel like fits this tone. He fits the Capullo style, yeah. Yeah, new Superman Bogdanovic, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. It, you know, and I know we don't love Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, but the that artist Claire Rowe that started on that, I think she's pretty good. Yeah. Yep, I like her a lot. Yeah, I wish she was on anything else. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I've said that before. Ooh, Albuquerque. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, if they could somehow get Sean Murphy for like a, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't aren't yeah. we supposed to have some kind of Sean Murphy? A bat his book. Own, his own bat book. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And he's also doing the last issue of All Star Batman. Yes. Well, wait. Scott uh, Scott Snyder said he's he's going on past that. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. He said that on Twitter the other day. Um, and then he, uh, Sean Murphy said after this he's going to do French comics for a while. Oh, jeez. Because of course he will. Like one of your oh, French girls. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody once told me, I, I don't doubt this, that Sean Murphy makes six figures a year in commissions alone. Jeez. So he can do whatever he wants, essentially. Um. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what artists DC is able to kind of woo based on this premise. Well, that was kind of where I wanted to to maybe wrap up the conversation or at least shift the conversation into this point now. If you were an artist that was debating between going to DC and Marvel, I mean, Marvel's reputation is in the shitter right now, but I think you know that's all cyclical. But does Marvel have anything they can offer that's like this? Like an icon book, but what's that worth these days? I was gonna say, I mean, I'm pretty sure the four of us could pitch an icon book tomorrow, and they would Marvel would say, "Wait, we still have icon?" <laughs> like you know, it, it's 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 not a thought to them at all, right? It's a thing for Bendis to play around with. <laughs> it so basically no one... is the like Bendis imprint now. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I was thinking about this earlier. You know, obviously, the uh, the regular hosts of the show are, are like died in the wool DC guys, right? And if if I was a creator, just looking at the amount of different sandboxes are in the DC yard right now, I mean, you could do a rebirth book, you could do a creator own book at Vertigo, you could do a weird meta textual book at Young Animal, you could be part of the Wildstorm you know, tech sci-fi world, or now you can be part of this like art centric. It's just, I mean, not everybody has all those opportunities, obviously, but it's just, right. it's such a diverse landscape. Plus they have shit like the Hanna-Barbera books. Like there really is a comic for every kind of reader being made at DC right now. Yeah. And how yeah, different is that crazy. than a couple of years ago? Yeah. And there's so. milestone coming at some point, they say. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's a good time to be DC, I guess. <laughs> if they could only figure out their films. Ah, don't get us started. Yeah. Hey, 2019 20, is the year of Batman. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, Ten yeah. Batman movies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, anything else to add, gentlemen? Um... I don't think so. I, I'd be interested 
um, if we all like took some time and looked over these sketches because I think there's some in- cool little nuggets uh, mm. about about stuff that may happen as a part of, of metal and dark matter and stuff. Be good to talk about next week. Um, but yeah, I I I think when this was initially announced, I was kind of um, a little surprised and skeptical and didn't really know how to take it but I'm, I'm generally pretty excited about this and 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 metal in general Vince yeah same <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am um, I'm very very interested to see how this shakes out especially in terms of these create of these characters sticking and mattering in a few years yeah and Paul will give you the last word no, same. I mean, I, I, I think I had a little cocked eyebrow skepticism at this, and then now we've had this big, long conversation, and all I keep thinking is, man, you guys, it worked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Jim and Dan, you did it. it. You know, you got me. Sucker on my forehead. So, But, yeah, it's the, the question for me is, you know, April 2020, you know, are these, how many of these are around? And, I'm, and I, you know, I would hope that they are. You know, I hope that things, good things spring out of this. And I, I think my big you know, thing is, please, please do the creator diversity thing because uh, you know they're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paul, you have to come back now uh, when each of these comes out and this... uh, join <laughs> us for a little mini review. I'd love that. This is this has been so much fun. So uh, stay tuned, listeners. We'll be back in just a minute with our review of the book part one. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with a discussion of this week's comics. So we would be remiss if we started any place other than Batman number 21, written by Tom King, illustrated by uh, Jason Fabok. And this, of course, is part one of The Button. The Button. I can't do the accent. <laughs> uh, so let's let, let's just let's just go around the horn here and say, did you think the issue was uh, great, good, okay, or bad? Did you say around the horn because of the prominent hockey game? Uh, around the horn is a baseball term, technically, but yeah. Uh, well, it's sports. It is sports. ESPN it is sports. Yes, yes. I I thought it was just a. Uh, a uh, pundit show where a bunch of alcoholics sit around and <laughs> make Goodfellas references. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Zach, so what do you think? Great, good, okay, or poor? I want a, another one that's between. Wait a second. What am good. I doing here? What am I doing here? We already have a scale. Pull pirate or pulp, man. Oh well, pull definitely pull. This? Yeah. See, that that doesn't that doesn't allow for the depth of. Uh... We'll get to the depth. So I, I need nuance. Need I need a 100-point scale All right, where I can well, really use okay, the decimals. On, okay, on your 100-point scale with, with decimals, 
Uh, what is your grade, Zach? Oh, no, I'm, I suck at 100-point scales. Um, uh, uh, 8.7. No, no, gosh, no, that's too high. 8.3, 8.3. Out of 10 or out of 100? Out of 100. <laughs> no, out of 10. Right. 83 out of 100. 82.5. <laughs> Vince? It's, uh, well, I already said 420.69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, uh, it is 420 it today, is. by the way, when we're recording this. So, um, because we're, so we're all super stoned. <laughs> yeah, Obviously. man. Every show. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just stared at a button for an hour, man. <laughs> uh, 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 out of a hundred, yeah. I guess seventy nine. Um, I'll say like seventy two. Okay, seventy three maybe. Um, needless to say, this is probably the highest any of us has rated a Tom King Batman issue since ever, ever, ever. Yeah, <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we'll get into it, but this this was this was good. It was it was very good. This is uh, like approaching a Omega Men level. <laughs> well, I, uh, uh, does, there's some cool stuff in here. There I is. Like, I like the time stuff. thing. I liked the countdown. The I thought. I thought yeah. that was a very like Omega Men esque thing to do. Well, and it was very Watchmen, and 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 that was the thing that impressed me the most about this issue. They they did so many little Watchmen homages in this issue that were really more well executed than they had any right to be. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't just a good story because they were cribbing from Watchmen. Um, Cause I don't even like that idea that much that they're doing this. Right. But it was how they incorporated them in such effective ways. And like it, it, <laughs> It wasn't – they're not just references to go, oh, look how clever we are. I mean, I guess a couple of them are, and we'll talk about that. But they're references that mean something in the reverberations of DC Comics' past being applied to characters that have been in existence for 75 years or more. You know, So it's – it's these reverberations from history that you relive and relive and re-experience and they take on new meanings. And I thought it was really smart how they incorporated a lot of those here, um, which we can get into more detail, but, but you know, it was, it was a good story on its own, but then it also had these, these ripples in it, you know? Yeah. Can I talk about the one thing I really didn't like? Sure. I feel like the hockey fight was very on the nose. <laughs> yeah. And like very dark and gritty and very Tom Kingy Batman. Well, and that was point, just, but yeah. just Batman watching hockey in the Batcave. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I, I wish he was wearing a like baseball cap over his ears. <laughs> a know, jersey. Like, a jersey. Or a, a, a hockey sweater, you mean? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but just like, I, I just felt like that was, you know, I know that's the point, but it was very very in your face yeah um yeah i mean the they they literally like the announcer literally says i mean is this fun right yeah (laughs) really talking about like the the last 30 years of grim and gritty comics so Uh right yeah it's it's very on the nose 
in what it's trying to do. Um, and I could see how that would turn people off. Yeah, but that's but that said, like it it works. I just wish it wasn't quite so on the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's actually go through this kind of I don't want to say beat by beat, but let's start with the um, the Saturn girl Ooh. appearance in the beginning. I didn't expect her to play a role in this. Did you guys? No, no, I didn't. Um. And I wonder if it will continue to because, you know, we've already seen some stuff about where this is going and it seems more and it, the JSA seems to be the thing that will be featured more prominently here right. than the Legion. But maybe we could get both. I think this might just be DC saying like, hey, we didn't forget about this. Yeah, like set dressing almost kind yeah. of, you know, stoking those those fires i wonder if there's something to be said for the fact that uh she says like oh no this is the night he dies or whatever early on that was like we think it's supposed to be about the hockey game but is it about batman is it foreshadowing the issue as a whole or just the event like you know i I think it does ask some interesting questions about sort of how much she knows, how much the future knows about this sort of stuff. But I don't see it really playing a role. I don't see the the Legion really playing a role in this crossover, but maybe I'm wrong. Is she talking about um, Reverse Flash? Right, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. And I, but I don't think this is the end of it, you know? Um. I wouldn't be surprised if it circled back around to like a legion tease at the end. Like we get some kind of um you know another shoe drops and gives this like first scene some context. I could see that. Um it did though. Like I was thinking about this after I read the issue that I'm very glad that Tom King appears to be on a New Gods title instead of a Legion title. I feel like the New Gods fit his aesthetic better than the Legion does. Yeah, I agree. Oh, something I thought about while we're still, before we get off of the Legion topic, Uh I I hadn't really thought about this before, but um, I think it's interesting that with Saturn Girl being in Arkham and, you know, seemingly being a little... um, mentally unstable it's very reminiscent of the the starman plot threads that that jeff johns was doing on jsa and oh yeah like pre-new 52 which i loved um so i think it's i mean it doesn't necessarily feel like retreading the exact same ground i guess it kind of is but um i don't know that just reminded me of that yeah. Um, I mean, if we want to talk about Watchmen homages, almost, I think it's the second panel of the book, has the um, like the hockey stick in front of the center ice that kind of mimics the like five minutes to midnight uh, clock of the, of the infamous Watchmen cover, you know? And... Uh, yeah, obviously the the first image we see of Batman in the Batcave with all the TV screens, 
It's very Ozymandias-y. That, that's not subtle at all. No, that one's not subtle at all. <laughs> um, you know, there was, uh, I mean, you know, the, the nine-panel grid. If you, if you're even a casual comics fan that's familiar with Watchmen, there is nothing about this issue that should take you by surprise. There's a lot of Watchmen in here. But that's not a bad thing. It, it, it is. There is a lot of Watchmen, but I never felt like it was um, like wholesale. I never felt like this was like a DC comic trying to be Watchmen. It felt like it was just just ripping riffing on like Watchmen themes and format, you know? Yeah. That was my take on it. It never felt like this is like if they tried to do Watchmen with DC characters, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think part of it is that Faybox art is not at all reminiscent of Dave Gibbons art. And so that helps differentiate it quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, Faybox Art was really good in this. I think yeah. this is maybe one of his best best issues. For sure. Yeah. I think I love that page. Um it's the it's the forty seven to forty five second page uh-huh. where it's like just punches. Yeah. And there's like the diamond of yellow. Uh huh. It's just so it's just such a good looking page. Vince, you've been uncharacteristically quiet about this. <laughs> Drop some knowledge on us. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I mean, I liked I liked so much of this. Um, for everything from like the Watchmen iconography, like literally like zooming in on the eye on that circle on the ice and then dropping the the hockey stick onto the ice, just like you know. Uh, you know, sort of like the smiley face with the blood splash and 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 reverse flash getting blood spat onto his face in that same pattern, you know? <laughs> like, I, those those little things, th- those are the kinds of things that are Easter eggs that don't really enhance the story, but they're certainly they're certainly cool. But then the things like, you know, the, the way that they play with time, that really means something. You know, that means something to fans of DC Comics, I think. Um um batman standing in front i i mean zach i think you just said about how this is this is a watchman style story starring the dc characters well you know who's more ozymandias than batman standing in front of a bunch of monitors you know i, I mean that's that seems like a, a slam dunk comparison to be made right there um, yeah it is really interesting how the characters that show up in this fit certain things like that, the Batman thing, um, how like you have the contrast of like flash and reverse flash and how they, you know, are very much part of the, the watchman. I mean, the, they are the same color scheme as the button. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's weird how all of those things kind of like fall into place. Um, and it's so weird that this is like both a a Watchmen thing and then also like a weird pseudo sequel to Flashpoint. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's, you know, regardless of what we may think about Flashpoint, that's a lot of people, that's that's like a touchstone for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, whether it was whether it was the last story that they ever thought they were going to get of the old DCU or the first story launching them into the new 52 or the animated movie flashpoint paradox um, that, you know, a lot of people live through the DC characters through those animated films. And and that's one that stands out as particularly uh, strange because of the alternate versions of the characters and things like that. And I, I know that that stuck with a lot of people. Um, so, you know, we we might remember that as kind of a low point in recent DC history. Um, for a lot of people, that's a that's a touchstone that they're going to going to grab onto. Yeah. And um, and you can't you can't beat the references to crisis either with with a skeletal a warped flash, you know, mm-hmm. ripped into yeah. shreds. And, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's just there's just so much. And and it, and this this feels like perhaps the most serious major event in Rebirth yet, and that includes Superman Reborn. You know, like this feels this feels more momentous of an occasion than that. And it's not an event book; it's happening across two really, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't you were want, gonna I'm say choosing your words. I'm choosing your words. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I don't mean strong. I mean, um, I mean the flash. High, high profile. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I meant like important, or I didn't want to say important, uh, but like flagship. Yeah, yeah, flagship. Yeah, yeah. Flagship. Yeah. There you flagship go. Titles, you know. Did um, anybody else think it was interesting that um, this book destroys the one physical remnant of Flashpoint? <laughs> yeah. Until we get Hook Hand Aquaman back. Oh, I wish. I don't wish. I <laughs> no. do not wish. Okay, so yeah, real quick. What's the one thing you would bring over from Flashpoint if you could bring one thing? Uh, Canterbury Cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have a better answer than that, so let's go oh, with that. Oh, man. Um, no. Uh, and, then, and then one thing I want to point out to get a real deep dive going here. You guys were talking about how you're not sure how much of this is going to have to do with the Legion. Right. But I'm not so sure because if you think about what Saturn Girl says, and I haven't I haven't unpacked this at all yet. Like I don't even I haven't done really any research into this, but she is observing this fight and she's talking about how Superman won't be able to save the Legion, right? Right. If 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 so and so dies, right? Well, one of the characters on the ice is named Taylor. It's Schuster and Taylor, right? Right. Do you guys know anything about alternate history Batman named Brain Taylor? B R A N E. No. Oh my goodness, are you <laughs> going to break something open right now? Yeah. So Brain Taylor <laughs> <laughs> Brain Taylor. Oh <laughs> I'm on the wiki page right now. You're you're reading that? I'm reading it, but you go on. Okay, so Brain Taylor was this um 31st century version of Batman. It was a man named Brain Taylor. Brain, of course, seems that kind of sounds uh, it looks like Bruce and Wayne mashed together, right? 
he basically takes up the Batman mantle in the 31st century. And so I think this is going to have more to do with the Legion than we think. Like, I think I'm not only do I think the Legion is going to spin out of this event, even though a book hasn't been announced yet. I think we're going to see like some real ramifications here, considering that if this is brain Taylor or some relative of brain Taylor on the ice that died somehow, it might again reverberate through history to the point that it actually ends up affecting the Legion in the 31st century. Does that? That's brilliant. I love it. This is my new Superboy Prime thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick this issue to pieces now. Yeah. I think that might. I, I, let, let me let me choose my words carefully here. I think that there is as much of a chance of that being correct as there is being not, not anything anyone thought of. <laughs> But just that, you know, one of the editors in the book's last name is Taylor. And yeah. oftentimes, you know, you see people leaving little nods to the uh, support staff and character names and th- things like that. Um, well, or it is a nod to Brain Taylor, but only in the most superficial sense. Right, right. As an Easter egg that they don't plan on expanding upon at all. Because right. who's going to remember Brain Taylor? The only, the only I, I mean, I've never read a comic with Brain Taylor in it. The only way that I knew this was by Googling you know, DC Comics, Taylor, or, you know, whatever, whatever I had to Google to, to lead me down this path, you know? I love this. <laughs> uh, now I, oh man, I'm just looking at that first page now. I want, I'll, I'll, now, what if this hockey, like, match really is, like, a, a more what if there's like a third aspect of it? So like there's the, the literal thing, you know, it's this thing that's happening and it holds up the flash. Then there's the kind of like metal textual thing where it's like, Oh, it's, it's, it's comics, you know, but then what if it's this sort of like placeholder for, for things that are going to happen. Like there's the announcers have like a line where it's like, remember these two have a history and like, what, Oh man, what, what if that's referencing, something else plus like the sh- the shuster i mean that's like uh well can, can, like can i tell shuster, you that like joe shuster yeah, can i tell you what like i thought Superman of figure what when i saw that schuster killed taylor i was like oh because real superman kills injustice superman written by tom taylor oh <laughs> like like this is the battle of goodwill over evil dictator version of superman like this is this is hope and inspiration killing darkness. Sure. So, oh man, we need to do some uh, button annotations. <laughs> I, I also have to say that, uh, you know, there's the part where it says Puck goes to Farfanic and Farfanic to Bungay. Uh-huh. Uh, Jason Favok is actually Instagram friends with a bunch of people named Farfanic. Oh, really? So, yeah, so there's, in case anyone's trying to dig into that name, and then uh, Bungay, I believe, is also a cartoonist, um, but I'm not sure what connection. Uh, Angus Bungay, DC Comics, uh, Cartoon Network Block Party. I'm not sure what connection you know <laughs> that name would have to anyone else. So right. just just bringing that up too. As you can see, I did a lot of Google. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah, you did man. I'm impressed. I'm proud of you. <laughs> um, what it. What about the uh, psycho pirate mask? That's another crisis thing. Yep. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's going to be how Jay Garrick comes back too, right? How 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 do you mean? Like the button, the button, and uh, the mask. Like the way that the Reverse Flash came out of their the connection between the mask and the button. Like did he though? Yeah, isn't that what happens? Isn't there like? But we saw him in Flash last week. Not last week, but the last issue of Flash. Maybe it was last week. Flash number nineteen. No, 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 isn't we saw. Eobard Thawne from a different... This is the Flashpoint Eobard Thawne. But I thought that was, too, because it said to be continued in the button. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, that's that's right. I don't know. I took it as that... Or, or maybe it was... Maybe the connection between the two was like a lightning rod, pardon the pun, that attracted him? Maybe... I mean, yeah, like, I'm, I, uh, I mean, I definitely see where, like, what you're, I'm with you, because, like, if nothing else, you know, the, the, the connection between the button and the mask brought back Thomas Wayne for a minute. Right. Going back to try and find that Flash issue. No, it was number 19, if you want to. Yeah, I, I was just, like, looking through, like, our back issues, and I guess I just, like, passed it. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot. There is a lot to unpack in this, for there sure. Is. And it's funny because if you look at the issues, so much of it is just a fist fight. Yeah. So it's not like there's all that much. It's not like there's pages upon pages of stuff to unpack, but the concepts and some of the minutiae can be debated forever. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so on the last page of that Flash issue, it, it's reverse Flash, and he says, I remember the Batman, Thomas Wayne, he killed me in the Flashpoint. I should teach his son a lesson. And where is he? He's in Iron Heights. So is he just woke in the way the Superman is woke and can remember <laughs> like everything, or is that I, a different? I don't know. Flash? I don't know. That's a good because I I think it must be. I think it might be a different one because I think the next arc of Flash after the button has Reverse Flash in it, unless you know something happens and he he doesn't die again or time travel something. I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Before I ask sort of the big question I have about this issue and this crossover, do we have anything else to add to this? It's, it's such a relief to read a good Tom King Batman. I mean, that's all but, I keep. If he was just saving himself up for 20 issues to put this out, then fine <laughs> yeah it, it gives me hope and maybe it's uh misplaced hope but maybe the the bane plot was just not for us you know and uh-huh. and maybe whatever comes next this this jokes and riddles thing which admittedly still like doesn't sound like my bag i'm kind of tired of these, yeah i'm kind of tired of these uh these like secret history batman stories um and I'm really tired of the Joker, um, but That's who knows? Twisted, Zach. I know. Some some might even say damaged. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. All right, so here's my, my big question. Do you think at the end of the button, we're going to have any more idea about the Watchmen connection than we do now? 
or is it just going to or is it just is that just the catalyst for this like flashpoint slash jsa story that's coming out of this uh the story is called the button so i think it it's not going to be resolved but yes we will have more of an idea of where we're going I'm I'm going to take that question a step further. Do you, do you think we will or will not see Dr. Manhattan before the end of the button? We I don't think not. we're going to see Dr. Manhattan until the like Justice League versus the Watchmen or whatever the fuck is going to be called. Like until that event, I don't think we're going to see him. I don't even think we're going to get that event. See, that's another we I guess to, to break the illusion of the show, we, we've talked a little bit earlier about. Actually, no, it was on Twitter. So if you yeah. if, if you, you follow us on Twitter, it, on there. yeah, we we kind of talked earlier today about where we think the whole Watchmen thing is going going to go, and it seemed that we kind of had a sort of consensus that we maybe hope that the Watchmen are never actually seen. Um, that it's more just the idea of what Watchmen represent. Yeah. I I really kind of like that idea because they're sort of already doing that, teasing us with characters like Mr. Oz, who is or isn't Ozymandias. Um, Yeah, what if they never reveal for sure that that's who that is? Right. I kind of like that idea. I like it a lot. I like that idea a lot too. I don't know how that jibes with having the actual comedian's button, though. Well, but you never. But but how about you never see the comedian? But we are aware that it's the influence of the Watchmen rippling into the DC. I mean, I am fine with that. Yeah, but but that's not. It. But there's there's two different questions here. Then that's what I would like to see happen. Do I think that that's what we're actually going to get? I I think. I I don't think there's going to be oh god god help me if I'm wrong but I don't think there's going to be a Justice League versus the Minutemen event. No, because they're going to call it Justice League versus the Watchmen even though that was never their name. I I know, <laughs> but I mean in concept. I'm just and, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um or the Crime Busters or whatever you know. <laughs> uh, uh but I do think, even though I don't want this, I do think there is going to be like a money shot or two where like at the end of some pivotal issue, there'll be Dr. Manhattan standing there and he's with his underwear on saying like, you know, something about his influence over the world or something. But that those two, I still do not, I cannot picture DC being careless enough and i feel like a fool saying this fool me again you know i i I cannot see how they would literally put like batman versus adrian veidt you know in battle or whatever like but if but i can see like images of mr oz if he is in fact ozymandias uh dr manhattan in some sort of parallel running with what's going on in the DCU. And somehow there's some force between those two factions that's causing this rift. 
and independently they sort of resolve that and go their separate ways. And it's it's much more thematic and um, philosophical than it is direct conflict. That 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 is really I mean if I had to guess I'm I'm guessing it's sixty five that thirty five the uh, actual direct conflict. I just have to believe that they are not dumb enough to pit like the comedian up against Deathstroke or whatever. I don't think yeah. you're gonna see like direct conflict that way, but I think you're gonna see. I feel like there's going to be a moment that 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 essentially is going to be like the secret ingredient is love, right? Like where <laughs> where the hope of the DC universe is going to take down specifically Doctor Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I, I don't see a way that makes for a good comic, but right. I don't see them not doing it. I uh, I have a theory, and maybe this is me giving like them way too much credit, but I think especially. In one book, we are being given a lot of Watchmen-esque things to be led in the direction of Watchmen. But we will Odyssey never of the Amazons. Yeah, that's the one. And it's the one that nobody's reading, so they get away with it. No one knows, but uh, Silk Spectre was actually one of the Amazons <laughs> of the Odyssey. Um, no, no, it... it and we'll get into it, and maybe this um, will transition us. I don't know if we want to go out of order, but um, it, uh, in Superman, we've been seeing a lot of things. You know, the the blue energy that was very Doctor Manhattan esque, the weird like monster things, and then in this week's issue, we have a uh, very distinctly mustachioed man smoking a cigarette in the shadows that mm-hmm. yeah. is very evocative of the comedian. But there's no way in the world that it's the comedian. But it makes you think comedian. We got to talk about, yeah. What book was that in again? Superman. 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 Yeah, we'll talk about that one. Along with the giant distraction. They actually said, we need a distraction, and they pull a giant squid out. Yeah. Yeah, see, it's almost too... I'm I'm with you, Zach. It's it's almost like they're, they're purposely shoving all this stuff in front of our faces and in reality it's going to be a lot more ambiguous and philosophical than than these are than than these are explicitly the watchman characters interfering with the DCU. All right, so God, I, I hope so. I, I hope you're right too, but let me push back against that just a tiny bit here. At New York Comic Con this past year, they uh-huh. were selling like Batman and Superman and Flash T shirts that had the bat logo and then the red blood on it, right? And we got our uh, – I got my, my package from DC Comics this week, and Batman 21 wasn't in it. But there was a note that said, like, Batman 21 is coming later, like, early next week. And that was circled, and it was circled by Clark, my uh, our contact at DC. And then he drew a smiley face and then took a different color red marker and put, like, the blood mark on it. Like, DC is going so hard with everything they have to make the Watchmen and the DC Universe come together. And I feel like there's only so much of that that can be attributed to this is just a philosophical connection that we're going to have some fun with versus, like, 
I, I think for a lot of people, this is what they've always wanted. It's uh-huh. not what we've always wanted, but I think that this is a like a, a marketing dream come true, and I could see a lot of people being disappointed if it wasn't what they're leading us to believe it is. Oh, I think everyone would – not everyone, but the, the comics internet would implode if it ended up being what we wanted it to be. Oh, and that disgusts me. I'm it sorry. Would just burn down. Like CBR servers would just explode. <laughs> and that's when Multiversity swoops in and finally takes the top spot. Hey, we're getting we, closer every day. We get a yacht of our own. Yeah. Um, it's yes. Okay. When you put it like that, I I think that that's pretty fair to say. But I I, I can't contort my mind to figure out why people actually want that i can't do it <laughs> like so he, just... he, he, here, here's the unfortunate reality right i think that if you listen to everything johns has said about this he wants the hope of the dc universe to defeat the cynicism of watchmen right can we agree with that yeah okay the problem with that is that aside from folks like us everybody wants it the other way yeah, and so I feel like no matter what they do, they're going to be alienating a good chunk of their fan base unless they have the cynicism win, and that's not going to happen. No, which is no. That's why that's why our idea for this. That's why Zach and and what Zach and I have just talked about. That's why that is really the best route to go. That's that's literally why because then you don't have to have this confrontation that shorts either side out. You have a philosophical like. Look, this is what the Watchmen is. We are going to show you the DC universe symbolically splashed with this little blood mark for a couple of years. And then at the end of this, they are both going to go their separate ways and we are going to come to terms with the fact that Watchmen is this and the DCU should be this. And those are separate things. And it doesn't short either one of them out. It doesn't it doesn't um denigrate Watchmen then. Because if you have Watchmen, if you have Watchmen lose in this battle, then you're pissing off a bunch of people. If you have the DCU lose, then Johns is wrong. The whole purpose of Rebirth failed by their purposeful actions, and cynicism wins in the end again. And the '80s never ended. So, you know what I'm saying? Like either way, you're losing out. This massive marketing opportunity that they have. Is going to piss off more people than it's not because the people that like Watchmen and want them to succeed over over the DCU are going to feel slighted. And the other people never wanted to bother with this in the first place. So nobody's happy. That's why they shouldn't even – that's why this should be purely philosophical. Those T-shirts that have like the bat symbol with a dash of blood on it, that – that should be entirely symbolic. Like, look at for these this two years, Batman is tainted with blood again, and we're showing you why that's not the best thing for these DC heroes. You know, I know you're saying that by having it that way, you're not slighting either side, but by not having them have a confrontation, you're slighting a huge chunk of the fan base. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I agree. I don't know. Like, this is obviously like a very dumb comparison, but bear with me. Like, if you're advertised that you're gonna watch a movie called Godzilla vs King Kong, and it's just the two of them like 
competing in philosophical battles against their demons. But nobody's ever said it's going to be Justice League versus Watchmen. Okay, if you had an, if you had an, a poster for a movie that had like King Kong beating his chest and next to it was Godzilla's foot, you would have but, a certain expectation of that, right? But you don't have a poster of Batman staring down the comedian. No, you have you have a you have an image of Batman holding the comedian's button. How is and that the, any different? The button is entirely a symbolic it's, gesture. It's a, yeah, it's an idea. I, look, you know it's symbolic. I know it's symbolic. Does does it read as symbolic to the general public? I mean, I don't. This is a multi-billion-dollar company we're talking about. Well, but the thing is, like, in the end, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is cynical, or maybe this isn't even realistic necessarily. I don't know like what the ramifications of this are, but the marketing push is going to happen regardless. They're going to sell those T-shirts regardless. The hype is going to continue to build, and if the the story ends with you know Final Crisis and Superman kills Darkseid with music, like is anybody <laughs> really going to be that offended? I yeah. don't know. You know, look like at, look at there Brightest might be, like, Day. Yeah, yeah. Do we have to? <laughs> Yeah, you do now. You have to go back and read it all. Oh, nuts. <laughs> no, but but yeah, I mean I you understand what Zach's saying, like Of course, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. And I and I fully agree, like like the 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 maybe the button being in the DCU the actual DCU realm is as close as we need to get to a confrontation because it is a symbol. Like, I think, I don't think there are so many people that love Watchmen for being badass that it really upsets the market all that much. I think the reason Watchmen sells and sells and sells is because it's, I think there's less of those like ah Rorschach is badass people than 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 is worth pandering to, is what I'm saying. Okay. You know what I mean? I think I think the people that that get Watchmen and like and enjoy Watchmen and understand the point of Watchmen outweighs the people that like it for the wrong reasons. Um, you are for once being the optimist of the DC three here. I, I know. I know. I just, I've been thinking about this a lot and the people that think Watchmen is it, the people that think Watchmen is badass and Rorschach is the hero. They couldn't possibly read that 12 issue series and overcome all of the dry symbolic literary stuff to enjoy it as much as they would need to for them to be so emotionally invested in getting these characters into the DCU. You know, look at, look at comics should be cheap on multiversity this week. Bunch of people were talking about the button and almost all of them said with, with like with one eye closed through grimace, like a grimacing (laughs) face I'm going to be reading this and hoping for the best because it's not, it's nothing less than fascinating that they're even doing this. But I think the majority of people (laughs) think that it's probably not going to be a good idea. 
So, so does DC sense that and do the right thing? And the right thing is to incorporate Watchmen as a symbolic gesture, I think. And I'm, I stand by that. I mean, I know that's an opinion, but... Okay. Yeah, I'm with you, but I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate really quick and back Brian's side and say that, yes, people who have actually read Watchmen and are fans of it would think that way. But I wonder how many more people have only seen the Watchmen movie. Oh, God. And but, would... But- would think Brian's way, though, or the way that Brian is advocating. Yeah, I, I'm not hoping for this. I, I'm no, always, no, I, I want to make yeah. that very clear. Yeah, I mean the way that you're advocating. What, was was Watchmen even that successful of a movie? Even the biggest flop movie is watched by like tons more people than the most successful comic. How many of those people are reading comics? See, I I think that this is I think this is DC's. Best attempt at getting people to talk in a way that Marvel can't do. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. That's true. About how, like, what can DC do that Marvel can't do? Marvel doesn't have a Watchmen. Right. And this is something uniquely DC. And I think that the idea behind Rebirth, if you had to, like, boil it down to one sentence, is DC getting back to what DC does best. And so this is something that they can do that nobody else can do. There is no competition from anybody else in this one realm. And I think that, you know, I'm not going to say my mom has heard of Watchmen because she hasn't. But, you know, my wife does not read comics. She's read Watchmen. You know, I, I think most people of our generation have a passing understanding of Watchmen. And I think that those are the people that DC is – not DC, it's specifically, I think comics in general – are trying to get those folks to buy comics. And there's no easier way to do it than to use the cultural touchstone of comics being more than a kid's thing. Like, that is... Watchmen is the international symbol for comics or literature, right? Comics aren't for kids anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like Bang, pow, boom. (laughs) But that is, like, the international symbol for that. And so I think this is DC making a very calculated choice that we can do something that no one else can do, and we can gain a certain amount of mainstream credibility, even if people have never read it. Just like you sound smart at a dinner party full of full of you know dupes and schmucks. If you say like well, Watchmen is one of the Times' one hundred best novels of the twentieth century, like you know people know that even if they haven't read it. And so I think that this is all about perception and not about reality. And I think that it does more for the perception of DC to have an actual confrontation than it does to not. It's it's poorer for the product. Yeah, you th- under you undermine that very idea that got you here. All right. that stuff that you just said about it being a literary masterwork that Time magazine recognized is undone not undone but but undermined by by bringing them in for a direct conversation. But does that matter in the long run for DC's bottom line? Uh, I, I no, just don't think even we're in the weeds worst, by the way we are in the weeds we are we are, we are but I think even the at their worst ever had. I don't I don't think Jeff Johns would do that I, like, I, he, he's kind of spearheading this and I, I don't think like he's used a ton of Alan Moore ideas you know, blatantly, in some cases, you know, the argument can be made like people have, have levied a lot of complaints about John's use of, of Alan Moore ideas over the years. I don't think 
that he would look at Watchmen and say, yeah, we need to do a Justice League versus Watchmen. I am almost positive this idea came from DiDio. Oh. Yeah, but I... I can't even see him being interested in that. I can, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely, but... Surely there are enough people around to say this is a bad idea. There are a lot of... I, I mean, okay, before Watchmen did happen, there weren't enough people to say that this is a bad idea, and a lot of really talented people worked on that. Darwin um, Cook, rest his soul. Darwin Cook. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of really talented people working on things that are circling whatever this is, and surely cooler heads would prevail. But see, here's... And, and I think we're going to have to table this conversation soon just to get to the rest of the show. Oh, um, there's no point. <laughs> fuck the rest of the show. <laughs> but I think that cooler heads can prevail in the outcome of this. And that's all people are going to remember. People are going to remember, like, oh, yeah, the Justice League fought the Watchmen and the Justice League won. Like, that is the cooler heads prevailing. But you still get all of the positive press. And I don't mean positive reviews. I mean, you, you all get all the press acclaim. You still get the headlines if you do it. And I feel like that's that's the, the bargain they made with the devil here. Is like, we're going we're gonna to whore out our, you know, our pinnacle of comics literature. And we're going to mix it in in a way that probably isn't satisfying. But we're going to get to dictate how it ends. Okay, so then, so then answer me this. If, uh, this if, is a DC podcast. You have to ask him, riddle me this. Riddle me this. <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> when, when, when you're talking about this ultimate confrontation between Watchmen being, and, D, and the DCU being best for the bottom line, is that really the case? Or could they end this? Could they stop short of that? promised confrontation and let it lie and all of this press and all of this stuff still would have happened they still sold a ton of comics they ended up with enough you know goodwill and sense to please the people that normally read and buy comics and would it would it affect their bottom line by not going all the way I mean, what you know, like, if they if they don't go all the way, are they going to sell markedly less comics? Do you think that, or I don't know. I just I, see. I, I just think that there's a there's a difference between. Like one of the things that people hate more than anything else is being sold something that isn't what they're really getting. Yeah. And I just and, feel and like yet that happens almost constantly. Oh, of course it does. Especially in comics. Yeah. Uh you know, if if in ten years Captain America was still a Nazi, I'm gonna be shocked. Right? <laughs> like, you know, we're we're being sold a bill of goods here that may not be relevant a year from now. And I'm totally aware of that. This just seems like 
not to bring this too deep into current politics, but like this is the nuclear option. Like this is the thing that DC can't ever walk back from. Bringing bringing Watchmen into the DC universe was is crossing the Rubicon for them. This is it. This is the last. This is the last bridge that they have not gone across yet. That's why I think they can't do it. You know. Then then why even fake doing it? Because it it it's it's a big deal. But won't it be a bigger deal if if they didn't if they don't have the if if 2017 or even 2018 or even 2020 isn't the time for this to happen isn't it better to hold off until they are truly desperate and have to do this well, well but maybe maybe in doing this they make it so that it never happens like okay so you say this is like the last bridge they have to burn yeah. and yeah, in doing this, you know, if they do it the way that we are proposing it be done, that kind of, um, at least, like in my opinion, it kind of shuts the door on it, on anything more than that ever happening. I mean, maybe not. You know, like fifty years from now, we might, you know, get it. Whatever, who knows? But yeah, no, I I know exactly what Zach is saying. Like, like. Okay, this is the final. What what you say is let's 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 assume what you say is true, Brian. Okay, this is the last thing they could do. They could never walk back from this. They they've got nowhere else to go after this. That's big and massive and wild. What if they walked right up to that doorstep and didn't do it? It doesn't matter. They still suggested it for two years. For two years, we dallied with it. They didn't actually have to end up doing it and ruining it, crossing that Rubicon and never being able to come back. And they had their cake and ate it too because they were there the whole way. There were all these suggestions, all these, all these hints and, and philosophical whatnots, but they never actually had to cross that Rubicon. And in doing so... They kept all the goodwill that they would have risked losing by actually going ahead and doing this thing that they couldn't come back from. And they still got they still got every Watchmen connection except for the most literal fisticuffs version that they could have wanted out of it. Isn't that already unprecedented? Isn't that already like getting so close to not being able to come back from it that it's momentous in and of itself. And that's almost like making a statement in, the, in a way of why it shouldn't happen. Yeah. I, again, I don't disagree with you guys. <laughs> I just don't... You don't I, see that happening. I don't see that happening, no. Here, here's, my, here's, here's one more thing I thought about. Okay. And I've been thinking about this since we saw <laughs> Batman. Beavis is dad. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this since I saw Batman pick up that damn button, you know, a year ago. All these creators, like the, I don't believe any of these creators are being paid markedly more than they would have in the new 52 era to do these comics. Right. Right. I don't believe this, this many, I don't believe, I don't believe all the creators behind DC rebirth would get in, dig in, 
get be so excited and invigorated by this idea and not turned off and not and you know right I mean right now it seems like it's just such a positive place to be right now that to to me that's the tip that I need to get my mind to believe that they're not going to go for the literal Watchmen. They're not going to go for before Watchmen again. They're not going to go after Watchmen. You know, I, I feel like all these people are together writing these stories, making these connections because they realize that in the end, what it's going to be is something really mind blowing and smart rather than the obvious thing. And I could be way wrong. I hope you're right. I really do. I, I hope I'm totally wrong about this. Yeah. I mean, I've been fooled a million times, and I'm letting myself get fooled again. But I watch CSI. I know I won't be fooled again. <laughs> yeah. I don't watch CSI, by the way. I just wanted to put that out there. It's okay if you if you ever have. Well, when I was in college, I watched it every now and then. Anyway, can it, we? It's an it's another cultural touch, though. Yeah. Uh, can we, can we put a button on this button conversation for now? We might because well. next week we're going to do the same thing again. It's wonderful, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Next next week it's literally going to be like <clears throat> the comedian reaching with an outstretched hand, <laughs> shaking his hand. <laughs> this is all going to have been for naught. Hi, hi, I, I, uh, I, I'm a rapist. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not funny, but it's it's true. He is. <laughs> he is. It happened. He instead of his usual button. He's going to be wearing a button that says, I killed Kennedy. Oh, God. <laughs> That's canon, dude. That's canon. Yeah. All right, so let's let's do this. Um, I'm going to pick out a couple of books. I have a feeling we're not going to have much to say about it. And we just each get to say one sentence about them. Then we'll dig into the rest of them, okay? Yeah, I like that. All right, Aquaman number 21. Zach. I'm sorry, I just cut... I, I just totally ruined the podcast, but we'll have to edit this out. But Tom King just tweeted back at our multiversity review of Batman 21. What did he say? He just says, thank you means a ton. <laughs> okay. hey, we're, leaving, we're leaving that on the show. That's 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 innocuous enough to uh, to leave in the show. Uh, Tom, Tom, we love you. We really do. We truly do. This all comes from a place of love. So, Zach, Aquaman 21, one sentence. Uh, Fine. <laughs> period <laughs> am i am i up yeah you're up yeah <laughs> i don't know this is um it's fine but i i'm just not into this arc I, i'm looking forward to the next arc because this has been a this has been a good series and this is a downer of an arc um yeah, yeah so aquaman's away and the this is way more than one sentence by the way okay, <laughs> fine fuck you <laughs> <laughs> my one sentence no nukes Okay. Um, Green Arrow twenty one. This was weird. <laughs> I mean, this was a very sparse like table setter. It was almost a time waster. Yeah. Uh, the villains just gathering, and that's this, it. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a really good art. Juan Ferreira, man, I I love how this book uses. Uh, like two page spreads or it has panels that like cross the cross the middle line a lot um you guys are shitty in one sentence 
Okay, we're done. This book is weird. <laughs> Worst issue yet. Uh, what? No. Of this no. Of, of this no. comic? No. No. Of this no. comic? No, 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 no. What's there worse be- in Green Arrow than this issue? <laughs> anyway, Green Lanterns, Zach. Worst, worst comic of the week done. Vince. Yeah, I stopped reading halfway through because I realized um, this was such a strong week. We've got like seven or eight really solid books, some of them great. I, I don't need to waste time on a book like this anymore. This was really dire. I, I should qualify. Worst book that I read this week. Okay. Uh, didn't hate it. That's my one sentence. <laughs> what? What? This is my hot take of the week. Wasn't wait, that wait, bad? Wait, no, wait, no, no. Wait, wait. You you want to reduce the some of these books to one sentence, and these are already some of the most divisive opinions that we've had on this damn show. <laughs> <laughs> didn't hate it. I feel uh, like we're just gonna leave it at that now. All right. Justice Bye. League number nineteen. Yeah, and the what girls finale book? was really good too. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Justice League nineteen, Wilkerson. I overly worded, overly wordy, boring. I'll try again next arc, but they really need to do something about Justice League because this is way more boring than their flagship title should be. Zach, uh, where's Brainiac five, and is Lex Luthor's daughter a Martian? <laughs> She has the green head cone thing. She does. She does. Um, That's not explained. It is not explained. Is it going to be explained? Never. Who is um, Molly? <laughs> uh, Molly's a wonderful drug. <laughs> uh, my one sentence is snooze with a hundred O's in there. Who gives a shit? Um, the art was good. Yeah. 10 out of 10 good costumes. Uh, <laughs> Trinity number eight. What is happening with this book? That's my one sentence. <laughs> this was um. Why why did this issue exist? Yeah, my my sentence was gonna be waste of ink. <laughs> yeah, I mean Emmanuel Lupacino art, which is always good. Yes. But like, but but literally, this is like Clark telling Bruce and Diana about. It's Clark reading. Action comics to them. Yeah, reading well, action comics to them and them promising not to tell anyone else. <laughs> before he subsequently goes and tells everyone in every other Superman book. Yeah. And then the final panel is like the millionth time we've seen uh, Mr. Oz ominously watching yeah. on his uh, monitor. Like, I swear we've seen that a million times. And does this mean that he literally has monitors that could look like, does he have a monitor in my ass right now? Because <laughs> how is he seeing like close up shots of Superman saying, we got to keep this on the down low guys. Cause if anyone finds out, they're going to freak out. All right. Like, so this okay. is, this is my, uh, this is a very multiversity centric uh, reference here. Whenever I see him watching on the monitors, I just, in my head, I hear uh, Ulysses Farinas singing that creeping song. <laughs> Do you remember that song he posted in our comments? The, like, reggae song he wrote? Creeping, creeping. Creeping, creeping in, in my the room. room. <laughs> keeping, keeping all the little tunes for you. Exactly, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. That's what I this hear. This is the last time I'll see you tonight, because I'm creeping, creeping. Creeping in your room. Yeah, <laughs> I love that song. It was the top, my top song of that year. 
Zach, you know what we're talking about? No, I don't. Ulysses Faridas years ago commented on an article that mentioned him. It was one of my reviews. Oh, was it one of your reviews? Okay. Yeah. And he mentioned, I... like, hey, guys, I wrote this reggae song. <laughs> Just put it in the comments. Can I tell you what it was? Sure. This is, this is a huge diversion. What I is re- this show if not a series of diversions? Yeah. Well, we I always re- come back to a convergence. I, do. I, I believe I reviewed one of his Judge Dredd books. Okay. I think it was Judge Dredd. And I gave it a really good review, like an 8 out of 10 or something. But I had a throwaway line in there about, like, previ- previously I was only familiar with Ulysses Farinas uh, in, like, a creator-owned alt alternative comic sense you know uh-huh. and seeing him on drudge dread was really something and i thought it made me it made me think wow i wonder what he does next you know i wonder where he goes next after this and i don't know if he like took it wrong or if he was just being playful you know but he was like well next i'm gonna be a, a reggae artist and then he had this <laughs> song you know and i was like oh is he like mad at me because i'm like I meant it in a complimentary way, but right, does, he, right. does, he, does he think I'm, like, reducing him to, like, a product or something? You know, because that wasn't my intent. Um, Man, the, the, the doubt, uh, doubt-ridden doubt world of a, of a comic book reviewer. Yep. It's really – it's also really a Midwestern thing. Like, I, I um, punch myself in the face daily for <laughs> these perceived slights and things that – Anyway, creeping. Yeah. Ulysses Farinas. Hot jams. It is hot jams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zach um, will send you the link. It's amazing. Vince, did you page through Harley Quinn this week? I I didn't read any of the main story. I, I full-on read the Harley Loves Joker backup, or and Joker I, Loves Harley, whatever the hell. How is it? It's fine. It's really... It's really regressive. Like, I will fully admit that it's totally regressive for Harley Quinn because she's, like, fawning over the Joker who's, like, tossing her fur coats but doesn't give a shit about her, you know? Cares more. Like, she's trying to... She's trying to uh, uh, get him to rev the Harley up, you know, to to take a phrase from Batman the Animated Mm -hmm. Series. And he's not horny. He's only horny to watch Bruce on TV. (laughs) So so it is very, like, old-school, regressive, very 90s, early Harley story. Um, But it looks really charming. The art's very throwback, um, you know, Tim and uh, Deanie-era type stuff. And and for that, I will check it out twice a month in a backup fashion. Okay. and Batman interrupting sexy time is always fun. Batman is this. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Let's. Did, did either of you even look at Odyssey of the Amazon? Of course not. <laughs> I didn't even cast a glance its way. Nope. I actually went to. Um, I fucking can't think of the name of the place from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind to have it erased from my memory. <laughs> Yeah, you had uh, Mark Ruffalo messing around. Exactly. Dancing in his underwear while I'm, uh, have that colander in my head. Um, all right, let, let's, let's try and keep this brief because we do have a, uh, a long show to begin with here. But, uh, All Star Batman number seven did, uh, sort of redeemed this arc for me. Not that I, I thought this arc looked beautiful. 
but I, I thought it was a little bit, um, I sort of, all of our All-Star Batman's been for me, it, it felt like it was a little bit, there was something just a little off about it, but this issue I really, really enjoyed. I don't know if that's just on a racial global mark or what, but I really enjoyed this issue. What'd you guys think? Yeah, same. I liked this. Yeah, this was really good. This was like, I got to the end and I was like, I mean, I felt the same way, Brian. It redeemed. It redeemed everything that came before it. Not that, not that everything that came before it was bad either. It's just right, right. It was very disjointed, right? Like yes, exactly. Like each each issue. This was one arc, but each issue felt like something completely different. Interesting on its own, but like every every month, I was like, okay, I don't remember where we are and right, how we got right, to this right. point, and this is just really not. It's it, it's not. Snyder had always been good for like bringing you along and 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 making you wonder what was going to happen immediately next, but these issues were so disjointed that I didn't get that aspect of it, and now the ending was just so beautifully done from a visual standpoint. Conceptually, I thought, um, you know, it opening with this is not a Batman story. And then you find out that it was because he was using a Hatter toxin on Ra's al Ghul like halfway through the issue. Right. And so you saw all these events that weren't really happening. And then the way that Batman got the upper hand in the end was just so – it was so Batman in the best way, you know? And, yeah. um And, uh, man, Jock's art is good. And uh, – <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, just just a really stellar, stellar end to this particular story, and the back. We'll talk about the backup, but ooh, the backup that took Duke in a. I never expected this. No, what, not at what all. What is going on with Duke? I have no idea. I don't know either, but it's exciting. Yeah, it's giving this... him something interesting to do. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I really want to reread this arc again. As a whole, see how it reads, and yeah. also the backup again as well. I don't, yeah, I don't know. This is a book that uh, you're right, Vince. Usually, Snyder books, I, I think, kind of lend themselves to the serialized format. But this arc, I think, both the the main story and the backup read would read better, um, like in one sitting. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah. And I think I think the backup. Sorry, I, I know sorry. you want to keep this short, but I think the backup um, <clears throat> really uh, is maybe the strongest single Batman arc that we've had yet. Like I'm, I'm even including Detective Comics in this, which is an incredibly strong book. But like the the single arc that I find most intriguing and satisfying has been this backup with Duke, because it's growing Duke as a person, as a hero, giving him purpose, showing him, showing us what's unique about him, all this great stuff that goes into being a Batman sidekick and a person in the DCU. And then at, and on top of all of that, at the end, they throw in this like biological twist (laughs) that you just never saw coming. And so like, to me, it's been the most intriguing thing in any of the bat books. I want to know more about what's going on in this story than I do any other. Well, 
you only have to wait until Dark Days. <laughs> yeah. The Forge number one. Uh-huh. I was wondering how or if All-Star Batman would, would feed into that. And so I it's interesting that the backup yeah. is the thing that's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that dark... I mean, we'll get into dark matter and what it what it's all about later, but uh, or, or no, wait, we already have. Yes, <laughs> they've already heard us talk about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, edit that out. Nope. <laughs> uh, but the, it kind of ties into my theory with what's going on with that. So as far as like uh, Duke's biology and how it might be affected. So, but you already heard that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. It brings us to Batwoman number two. Uh, written by Marguerite Bennett and James Tyner and illustrated by Steve Epting. Is good. It's good, yeah. I, I actually don't have that much to say about this issue. Uh, although I really, really enjoyed it. Beautiful looking. I like what they're doing with Kate as a character. I like this. I like it when there's a character who we previously had a pretty good beat on and then we learn something about them and it doesn't feel like it's a cheat? Yeah, a cheat or like something that's being added in just because they want to add more depth. This feels like an it feels like an essential part of her character that we're just finding out about now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Lot of uh lot of nine panel grids this week. Yes. Did you notice that? Like I even did. out even outside of the button. I feel like I'm also looking for it now though, you know, it's like uh we're yeah. looking for clues everywhere. But Frank Avia had them in the All-Star Batman backup. Batwoman has them. Uh, Nick Fury over at Marvel had it. Just, you know, I'm going to go across the aile here and Haven't say... Haven't read it yet. I can't wait to read it, though. It's really good. Yeah, I can't um, wait. But just tons of nine-panel grids everywhere. Everybody's feeling the Gibbons love. And not that he was the one... Right. Not that he was the first one to ever use a nine-panel grid, but I just mean, like... <clears throat> yeah. The, the, you know reverberations yes uh cave carson is a cybernetic eye number seven a perfect superman story yeah <laughs> yeah and a really good cave carson issue yes michael oming doing the best work of his career here this is um yeah this is a really special issue and in, in a week of unbearably good comics this was one of the finest yeah. 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 And this is the first, I mean, I've always liked this book, but I think I've been pretty consistent in putting Doom Patrol and Shade ahead of it. This issue, like, was so special that now it's, like, right on that tier for me. It's on that same tier, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I think I was just getting a little, I, I haven't mentioned it because I really like the book. But I think I was getting a little fatigued with where the story was going or where the story had been, had spent so much time previously, you know, just a tad. And this was completely refreshing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it was. I really liked um, it kind of subverted my expectations. I thought this was just going to be like a flashback issue, kind of, you know, answering the the long-running joke of have i ever told you about the story when i met when i saved superman but then it flipped about you know halfway through 
and wasn't just a flashback. It was relevant to the ongoing story, and I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's a line in there that is by no means an original idea, but I just love it. I think it's perfectly encapsulated Superman when he says, Superman isn't my name, it's my challenge. Mm. You know, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good issue. Speaking of good issues, Deathstroke number 17. This book. Like, come on. This we, may be the best issue yet, and I'm including that, like, creeper issue. Yeah, yeah. As Vince said, I think he said it on Twitter. Like, yeah, this is, I want to, yeah. This is the issue that if you haven't read the book, but you want to jump in, read this issue. Because everything you need to know about the whole series is is in this one issue, yet when you're reading it, you're not like, oh, this is just retread. It yeah. felt fresh and new, and it gave you all the fucking information. Christopher Priest, thank you. <laughs> this is almost actually kind of like the recap issue that I think all of us kind of wanted just to, like, square it is so everything. Dense. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. it's so dense. It, it, and it, you're right, like, that's the genius of it. It does kind of, like, recap and square everything away in a way that is not just like blatantly expository you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean it it recaps it, you know what it does it recaps everything by by almost putting a cap on everything like like it 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 reminds you uh because there there were a lot of time jumpy time skippy things and um and different identities going on through the first several issues of this book and it kind of brings it all together and says, like, look, this is what happened to Dr. Icon, who is also David Isherwood. He's referred to as, as this name at different times. They'll use one name, and another time they'll use a different name. And if you didn't get it from the beginning, you were kind of lost. And, and you know, but this is where the status is right now. This was his relationship with Joe. This was Joe's relationship with Etienne. Uh, this is how Rose got screwed over. This is Rose's relationship to Slade. This is Wintergreen. This is Wintergreen's status right now. This is Wintergreen's relationship to Rose and Slade. Dr. Will Hain, this is what he... I love that that joke has been in, yeah, like, the past five issues. I was going to say, it's at least three or four issues now. Yep. And it's, it's explaining all of this stuff in such a streamlined fashion... But it's not just re-showing you things. It's it's bringing Joe's uh, engagement with Etienne to a, a head. And in doing so, it's explaining all these different erstwhile relationships and plot lines that have been going on. Yeah, yeah. It explains and, and... Power Girl's relationship to the Teen Titans. Yep. Yeah. You know? it's, it's everything. It's, it's everything. everything. And, and, it's, and it also has... Yeah. The two things that I think Priest has done well in every single issue, he highlights how much of just like a bastard Slade is, oh and God. he ends Slade on a dog. brilliant, a brilliant cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good God. And then <laughs> I'm I'm staring into the camera right now, and I'm pointing, and I'm saying, "You, dear listener, if you're not reading Deathstroke." Pick up Deathstroke number 17. Start there. Don't worry that you're, like, late. Don't feel like you have to go back and catch up on everything before you can get to this. Because Even though I you want, should. Even though you should. 
I just but, want you to support this book right now. This is and, the best time too because we're about to hit a radically different status quo that looks extremely interesting. Yes. Yep. And Joe Bennett's art kicks ass. Yes, so, it does. Oh my goodness. Yes, this, it does. Is, this is so good. It's an embarrassment I, of riches. I just can't believe that this book is a thing. This is like saga level stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it really is. It truly it really is. is. <laughs> this is the saga of, of DC Comics right now. Uh, did it's any of you guys watch Metal Gear Solid? It's... Yeah. Did either of you guys watch Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon when you were kids? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah some, somewhat. The uh, the constant like Vilhain thing reminds me of. Do you remember the character Sardo on the show? <laughs> everyone would call now. him. Everyone would call him Mister Sardo when he'd say, "That's Sardo, no Mister accent on the dough." Like every, he was like a recurring character. That's I know. Th- I know the more obvious <laughs> reference is the Frankenstein or whatever from Young Frankenstein. But in my and I know Christopher Priest, who was a grown ass man in the early nineties, was not watching Are You Afraid of the Dark, but. <laughs> That's where my mind goes every time. Oh. These are the deep, the deep cuts that, that the listeners come for. Exactly. Oh, man. Camp Anawana, we hold you in our hearts. When I think about you, it makes me want to fart. Uh, Nightwing number 19. Tim Seeley, Javi Fernandez, and... Uh, uh, who's Mink, the... you jung, Mink, you, Mink you Jung or Young. Yes. Uh, yeah. Another really good Nightwing issue. It was good. It was really good, but it was also not much more than what we already got the issue before. Agreed. This one I felt a little that. bit like a filler issue. Yeah. It was fine. It's fine. I mean, you're re- if you're reading Nightwing, no reason to stop. It's a great book, but it really didn't move the needle that much forward. Especially you'd think that introducing Dr. Hurt in this issue. He was teased before, but this is the first like full issue with Dr. Hurt in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. and yet he didn't accomplish much more than the sort of hints we had been getting towards him. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, I will say this though: it's it was awesome to watch uh, Sean. So so Dick and Sean went undercover to Egypt to track yeah. down Doctor Hurt, and Sean is like kicking ass. Like Sean's an awesome. Like this issue made me like Sean a lot. But then she's she's kicking ass. But then she's also like almost constantly getting crushed and like yeah. <laughs> you know, not like a damsel in distress, but like just very much the target of assassination <laughs> to like a comical degree. Yeah. Zach, anything to add? No, no. Yeah, I. Uh, this this issue is kind of more of the same, but what the same is very good. So no complaints. All right. Uh, that brings us to Super Sons number three, written by Pete Tomasi, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. Um, Amazo bots everywhere. It's, it's amazing how this book can be like simultaneously so fun and just like abysmally dark. Yep. Very dark. <laughs> Very dark, but not in like the. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not dark and grim and gritty. It's dark and funny. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, know. my favorite scene, even though it's so cliche, was when Damien and John were arguing and they're like, now! And then they (laughs) they bust out to attack them. Like, I just love shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Damien and John are like the new, like, they're the power couple. They're the power couple of. of (laughs) Absolutely. Like, man, they're so fun. Is it Toddler Titans? (laughs) 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> I just... Man, this book is so good. And Tomasi has their voices down so perfectly. perfectly. Yeah. So perfectly. Um, Let's just keep rolling along here. Superman 21. Tomasi uh, and Gleason. They're still like, Back man, at these you. guys. These guys. What are they... What are they doing? <laughs> I, I love know. in this how uh, Damien's fake name was Garth. Garth, which makes him like the third member of the Teen Titans named Garth. Yes, it does, which is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Party on John. Party on Garth. Isn't it funny how, how Damien has essentially become like a core member of all the Superman books now? That's <laughs> true. I'm okay with it. I love it. Damien's great. I don't anybody that doesn't like Damien, you got a problem with Damien, you got a problem with me. Agreed. Remember when he was the most hated character in the DC universe? Never understood that. Never. Yeah. Not me for neither, one. but but I really can't imagine it now. Yeah. You know. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Um This I, book's very good. I did want to say a couple of things here. Obviously, we were questioning last time whether Grandpa Dude was really evil. Uh-huh. He's evil. <laughs> He's evil. That makes me kind of sad. It does make me kind of sad. Is is the is the granddaughter evil? Well, too? that was my question. Do you think she's evil? Uh, I don't know. I don't want her to be. Neither well, do I. What, well, maybe, what if they're like, I'm not, you know, totally convinced of whether or not they're being controlled by whoever this mustache, not comedian man is. Right. Yeah. Whoever this and humorist. How is name the humorist? <laughs> I mean, he's just a slightly more sardonic comedian, you know. And, and how how is he using? Is Dave Barry? <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, I just <laughs> how is he using crypto as like a like a spy camera? Yeah. When did that happen? Oh, didn't crypto get eaten by? He got eaten by the Eradicator, but I don't see Eradicator, yeah. Oh, but then it came connected. out of that. He busted yeah, he, up. That's, that's what I'm saying, but I'm wondering if it's, like, connected. Oh, okay. There will be, like, a six-issue arc with, where they revisit the Eradicator over in Dan Jurgens' action where they'll explain that all for you yeah. through after through three months of issues. So yeah. don't worry about it. Can, I really, you, can I really you go back and edit Dave Barry to Paul Reiser? <laughs> I know. Dave Barry's a better, a better pull there. I want to make a um, parenthood about... joke, though. A what joke? A parenthood joke. Oh, okay. Or or fatherhood. Okay, that's fair. That is fair. So just go edit that. Um, sure. Do it I, right now. I okay, doing it. Um, I did enjoy Superman using a Ferris wheel to capture the squid and then calling Aquaman. <laughs> let's imagine <laughs> yes. that phone call. Hey, Arthur, what are you doing right now? You got a minute? Uh, that was fun though. Yeah, overall though, a really fun issue. And uh, I'm going to bet that Grandpa is evil, but Granddaughter is not. Mm. Maybe that's just me hoping mm-hmm. beyond hope. I'm going with Zach. They're under some sort of control. She's not really a superpowered being. Oh, did you catch the wooden leg from the... Yes, what was that? From uh, the Darwin Cook, the... New Frontier issue, the Dinosaur Island thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, so then why is that there? We need to we need to unpack this. Well, because that place had like a one of those squid things too, didn't it? 
Oh, it might have, yeah. Okay. Damn, who is this guy? Why does he call why does he call Prince John? Why does he call him Prince John? I don't know. Is this is it Jorel? <laughs> oh god, I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Jorel smokes. I don't think so yeah. either. Well, maybe he does now. It's been a very stressful... His planet blew up. He's part of the guilty remnant of Krypton at this point. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to find out who this is. I think this guy... Never. The weird, like, off-panel Dr. Manhattan we've been seeing. <laughs> Mr. The, Oz. The, see, Mr. Oz. They're, they're never going to say it's Oz. What if they never say it's Ozymandias, but it is. We all know it is. But they're completely ambiguous about it, and they're fine leaving. It's like the whisper at the end of uh, Lost in Translation. <laughs> We don't I, need to know I thought he whispered uh, Bahead of Beavis' dad. <laughs> Never change. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Superwoman uh, number nine. Uh, with a, uh, This is the first issue of the new creative team. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Steven Segovia. Yeah. I, uh, I liked it. Me too. I was expecting not to. Maybe, maybe because I'm just I'm a I'm a Phil Jimenez no because I'm a Phil Jimenez Mark. <laughs> um, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, it's still you know like in the same vein of what what I liked about Superwoman, so it's cool, and I like what they're doing with the Atomic Skull. I was gonna say the Atomic Skull stuff is right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, and I I really like I love heartwarming Clark. Okay. Yes. And him like. Whenever he's around Lana, that totally comes out. And I think Kay Perkins did a great job of, like, him showing that he wanted Lana to continue to try to be Superwoman and that she's a hero that inspires him in some way. And yet there's a sort of understanding and, like, tenderness there that he's cognizant of what she's going through as well. Because she doesn't have her powers anymore, right? Right. I mean, I think right. it's going to be fascinating to watch this book continue with her without powers for however long that lasts. You know, it might only be a couple issues, but right. I think that's a really fascinating idea. This book has become about it's it's about something more than just the title. You know, this is going to sound like a really backhanded compliment. I don't Jeez. mean it negatively. No, but hear me out. Uh, as somebody who just read. The Death of Superman and also the Funeral for a Friend storyline. And actually, I'm in the mid midst of reading now the Return of Superman, the the, the four Superman story. Um, this reminds me of one of the, uh, I believe it was Superman the Man of Steel, which was the Louis Simonson written book at the time, mm. which focused a lot on the Metropolis Police Department. And there was just, there was this sort of sense of the Superman books while they were all centered around Superman, it, each book kind of had a different corner of Metropolis and the super family they were focusing on, obviously through the lens of Superman, right? But I feel like this book is very reminiscent of that, where this is very much the... I thought it was going to be Action was the Metropolis book, but this is really the Metropolis book. This is the book that deals with, like, you know, it was Lois and Lana and Steel and the... You know the Metropolis Lex. Special Crimes Unit, Lex. All that is in this. This is this is like the Metropolis book, and I think we've needed that in the Superman line. Yeah, well said. 
Thank you. And and you were and you were scoffing me when I started. I thought you were going to say something sexist again. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> You're real loud. Brad. I'm, a, I'm a real Bill O'Reilly type. So uh... <laughs> I'll give you the final word. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to write a book called Killing Superman. That's all about an alternate timeline uh, where Doomsday killed him for real. Wow, Dan Jurgens is literally the Bill O'Reilly of. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's slander. We're doing I, it live. Fuck it, I'm writing Action coming, Comics guys. live. <laughs> uh, oh, stuff gets weird after midnight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, be, to be fair, his book is kind of the no-plot zone, so that uh, oh, makes sense. Oh, All right, and mercy let, let, me. Let's end this, this chat with another exceptional fucking comic book, The Wild Storm number three. Best <sighs> issue so far, for sure. Oh, yeah. This oh. book, this book is some hot, hot shit, you guys. It's, I give it three big wet kisses. Yeah. It's, for, first of all, okay, where do we even start with this? Let's, um, I'll, I'll, I let's unpack those like first few pages with what I assume Gen- is the Jenny Sparks, Sparks character. Yeah, yeah. or a ace of yeah, yeah. Or a Jenny, a Jenny. A Jenny. Yeah. I think it's rebooted Jenny Sparks. I think it's going to be because she's traveled. She's because this is essentially a reboot, right? Right. And she's traveling through like tech technology. So I have to. Well, I don't know. I don't know that. I'm just. Yeah. I, I, I would awesome. almost like it to be a new Jenny because I feel like every generation kind of needs a. A new Jenny. A new Jenny. Jenny from the block. Jenny Reddit. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Jenny, hold on, let's come up with a name. Jenny Sequa. There it is. Let's talk about all this DC stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Up next, yeah. Doom Patrol. Hmm? Yep, Doom Patrol TV. Oh, show. I missed the Doom Patrol. Where is yeah. that? One of the um, like the on the the TV, like the the Chiron on the bottom. So, like, up next, Doom Patrol. Oh, okay. I missed that one. And uh, the, the core. Commander to... Steel. Commander Steel. In an iron, in an iron, iron, iron lung. lung, yeah. I, I yeah. love how you see Mr. Frump in the Iron Lung. Um, <laughs> I, I love how you see. Uh, I love how you see the cover of that Commander Steel issue. And then you see her in the next, like, in the next panel. She is in. She's that walking cover. through the door, yeah. Yeah. And. I'm I'm an idiot, okay? I read this issue three times, okay? And I got... I did get right away that this was Jenny Sparks. I glazed over that detail that she was not in the first panel and then she was in the next one. I don't know how I did that. I mean, I, I kind of, like, I had to slow down when I started noticing those things. Like, I think yeah. I probably made it to, like, the, the, uh, the page where she has, like, her phone out. The cord um, phone with the cord phone, and like I saw her up in the the ad for the soda at the top, and then she's like kind of like walking out of that onto the street. Yeah, and so that made me go back and start because I because I the scene like the scene that starts it where they're watching the video of I guess what was happening in the last issue. Yep, and she's in that and she's like walking towards it. And I was like, oh well, that's weird. Um, but but yeah, so that that happens. 
she goes into this Martian Manhunter TV show. Yeah, Earth Boys are easy. Yeah. Someone smoking Dr. Midnight cigarettes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that show Crime Doctor, where the, the doctor's like, the victim was murdered with a bullet fashioned from their own bone. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... so brilliant yeah so much to unpack just in those first few pages yeah and then ultimate but that that just shows you what a slow burn this comic is too in like the best way though because all of those pages basically what we're just supposed to get out of them is jenny quote-unquote sparks like infiltrating their tech but the fact that we see it in such intricate detail and such metatextual sort of reference making just adds to the it makes it special you know yeah you're not Do you just think... seeing somebody get inside of a phone you're seeing somebody interact with some very dc centric ideas anyway go ahead zach sorry do you think that lighter the mars expedition 50, 1955 is, a, is another martian manhunter reference because he was created in 1955 yeah yes. yeah that's, yeah yeah, yep. yeah. like but but what ah, what's can, the point of all of that? Can Is I ask? Just... Can, can I ask one maybe kind of a buzzkilly question? Yeah. If you had never read a Wildstorm book before, would you have any clue what's happening in these first few pages? Oh uh, well, uh, I I mean I think I would get as much as I do now. I just wouldn't know that it is a Jenny. Okay, yeah. that's fair. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Um. To me, that was the highlight of the issue. I mean, the whole issue was really good, but that those first few pages were the highlight of the issue. Yeah. Oh, there was another highlight though. That like, fight scene at the end. Uh huh. Oh my god. The the, dude, the choreography there, man. Yeah. It's excite like it's exciting seeing them like open up these like portals. Yep. Seeing all this like perfectly timed. Like those little beads that like all line up on that one character, and then the character explodes in this like <laughs> yeah. very John Davis Hunt gore uh, image. Grifter is good again. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> who who would have thought? Yeah. Wow! After oh. Future's End, yeah, we get this. Oh man! And just the I'm really digging the. Um, organizational sort of war of attrition that's going on right now between uh, uh, Miles Cravens. I forget. I always forget the name of the Miles Cravens company, but then uh, IO. And, IO. No, no, IO is. Um, oh, I was the other one. Yeah. IO's. Yeah. The Wildcats. Wait, no, right. No, because Miles Cravens was going to assassinate uh, uh, the main Halo guy. Uh, Halo. Marlo. Halo. Marlo. That's, yes, I had, yeah. Halo's the one I couldn't remember. Yes. Uh, ha- right. Halo is the, the quote-unquote good one. IO is the bad one. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's, I just can never remember Halo because Halo is a very good video game. It's not a organization that i'm gonna remember it's, it's also a very fun beyonce song yes i can see your halo okay we're not gonna do that and it's angel headwear uh-huh a What's halo that? 
Huh? It yeah. is Angel Headwear. That's correct. I don't. What's like an if angel? It, yeah, well, you're an angel, pal. Aww. Um, yeah, this was my favorite issue of this book, hands down, and I cannot wait for the next issue. It did sort of bump me out when I realized that we are uh, like an eighth of the way through the story, though. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. I'm. But. I'm. I'm so interested in how the other books tie. I mean, I feel like this is, you know, sometimes you have, like, a line of books that are supposed to tie together, but there are some that are clearly afterthoughts. Right. I, fe- I feel like, just per Warren Ellis's nature, none of the four promised Wildstorm books are going to be an afterthought. Just, just because of what a slow, careful burn this is. So it may be one eighth of the way through this story, but it's more like one, you know, forty eighth or something. Right, right, right. That's fair. All right, folks. That's that's our show for the week. Uh, It was a long one, but thank you for for listening in. We'll be back next week. It'll probably be another long show because of the button. Um, But until then, please let us know what you think of these issues. Hit us up on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. Go Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm at SirFox89. And Shorty, you're my angel. You're my darling angel. (laughs) Good night. Fuck it, we'll do it live. (laughs) (laughs) I 